And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. We are in the book of Obadiah. One reason is with Dave being out, y'all have heard a lot of messages. Probably none of you ever heard a message on Obadiah, so there's no way that you can say whether or not I'm best or worse. Uh, if I'm the only one, I am the best. <laughs> uh, but I'll be honest with you. Uh, this has been a difficult season in, in my family's life these past few months. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my father-in-law passed away in February and my father-in-law was one of the kindest men that I ever knew. He was a great minister of the gospel. He was a good friend to me. I mean, I literally was on the phone with him four or five days a week. Uh, most of the time, it was him calling for tech support. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, when, you, when you, your daughter marries a nerd, it's, uh, uh, you know, you get free tech support at that point. Although, the last joke I made with him uh, he asked me for help with something. I said, okay, you've exhausted how much your daughter has been worth, and now I need payment. Uh, <laughs> uh, but honestly, my father-in-law was the kindest man that I knew. Um, and this, is, this has been a hard season for all of us. Uh, and, and, and whenever he passed, the, the hardest thing was knowing that my, my, my son is not going to have his grandfather. And I'll be honest with you, this season has been rough, and I, I promised you whenever uh, I came in view of a call, and, and even after that, that I would never come to you with a passage that I personally have not wrestled with. And for the past few months, I have been stuck in the minor prophets uh, because I feel like Mar uh, the, the, the father in Mark, uh, I think it's Mark 9, where his, his child is sick, and he comes to Jesus asking for healing, and Jesus says, all things are possible for those who believe. And he says, uh, uh, he makes a statement, he says, I believe, help my unbelief. You know, you know and, and probably many of us in here have lived our lives in church and have heard many sermons and have studied a lot of books. I have, I mean, I've literally learned two languages in order to read this, this, this manuscript in its original, uh, as it was originally written. And I can tell you, I believe every aspect of Scripture, but at the same time in my heart, there are times when I don't, and when my son looks at me, and, and as where Papa is, I struggle because I understand the goodness of God's grace, but I don't understand the plan that he has. Now, I understand that his plan is for our good and for his glory, but at the same time, there's a part of me that sits there and says, how can this be? Many a night, many a night, me and my wife will be sitting there and just saying, we understand, but we just don't. And so I've been stuck in the minor prophets recently because I, I see the people of Israel crying out, and to be honest with you, I can identify with Israel. They, uh, they have lost their land, so 587 B.C., Babylon comes through and completely decimates Jerusalem and completely decimates Judah. 
and, and they go from being a people who became a great nation out of the origin of enslavement in Egypt to going right back into enslavement, but this time to the Babylonians. And the people begin to cry out, Lord, where are you? Lord, where are you? And the Lord continues to tell them time and time again, I'm faithful, I'm here, I have not forgot what's going on. He continue, In fact, Obadiah and the book of Malachi, which we're going through as, as uh, the youth group right now, uh, are, are two interesting books in that there's really no new information contained in these, these two books. A lot of times we, we sit there and we think that we need a fresh word in order to understand what God has for our lives. Uh, when in fact Obadiah and Malachi are both basically saying, Hey, Jeremiah, Ezra... All of them came before and told you this. I'm just going to repeat what they said because, you know, the Lord is still faithful. And so as we look through the book of Obadiah, we're going to see a, a people who completely decimated their kinmen. You see, the reason why the people were crying out is because their kin, the Edomites, from the lineage of Esau, which was Jacob's brother, who is the patriarch of the Israelites or the, the Jewish people, they, they had been struggling, these two people, their entire lives uh, throughout you know, the, the entire existence and history as nations. And at the time of their greatest need, the Jews turned to the Edomites, their kinsmen, and said, Hide us. And the Edomites said, Come here. And then whenever they came near, they sold them right to the Babylonians, right back into enslavement. Pure treachery. And the people of Israel are crying out here saying, God, why? Where are you, God? What, are you going to are you going to avenge us are you going to fight for us and so this book even though it's written it's an edict toward the edomites it's really a book with a jewish audience cuz god here is reminding the people of israel the people of judah that he is faithful to his promises God is faithful to his promises. And for us, we see as we read Scripture that since God has been faithful in all of his promises throughout Scripture, God will be faithful in his promises to us. This is something that I have to tell myself over and over and over again for the past few months, is that God is faithful in his promises to us because ultimately our biggest need is not death our biggest need is not health our biggest need is that we are savior or sinners in need of a savior and he came and provided that way for us and if he can take care of our biggest need in our lives he can take care of our smallest need in our lives so to kind of give you a little bit more background on the book of Obadiah, uh, we've got a little nice little map here. Ha, <laughs> maps. Uh, you feel like you're right back in uh, kindergarten, right? Uh, so, uh, so you see here, here's Israel. Hey, Corey, got a, 
You got a circle thing on. There you go. Look at that. He's got a lot of technology. So here's a kind of a map of the area. Uh, you have Judah in the south. Uh, uh, so basically the Babylonians, when they came and, and conqu- conquered, they came from the north and came down. So they conquered Jerusalem, made their way further down. And so the people then fled into the Negev. So you see the Negev down there in the bottom. The Negev, Negev is just a Hebrew word meaning south. So in other words, the people fled to the south, God's land, right? You know, we know all about that. Uh, so they fled to the Negev. Well, the Babylonians were still coming through, and there was their kinmen over in Edom. So Edom was a, a mountainous region. So as a matter of fact, uh, the capital was so high up that it could actually see foreign armies come from a distance. And there were so few passages up to the capital city that they were able to protect themselves very well. So they were very proud in the fact that they hadn't been conquered. Uh, and so the people then flee to Edom thinking that, hey, we're going to be able to partake in the same safety uh, because we can see our enemy coming from afar. And the Edomites told the Jews come on, come, come here. But as soon as they came near, they captured them and then turned around and sold them right back to the Babylonians, gaining favor with the Babylonians and also gaining financial riches also. And, and also to go along with that, the Edomites, after the Jews were sold into slavery, after they were carried off uh, to Babylon, modern-day Iraq, uh, the Edomites saw the Negev and saw that it was actually a very prosperous land for crops and for uh, there were a lot of wealth to be made there. So basically then they just went in and uh, took the homes of, their, of the conquered people there and basically just took it as their own. And so now you are, you are, you know, imagine you're Jewish people, you're in a foreign land, and now you hear that the people who were supposed to take care of you sold you to the Babylonians and then saw your house and decided, that's where I'm going to stay. And you're sitting here going, why, God, do you not know what you have said? And what does God say? Obadiah, verses 1 through 21. And so we really see three parts here in the book of Obadiah. We have the Lord's dealing with Edom at first. We're going to see uh, later uh, basically Edom's shame. And then also finally at the end we will see that the kingdom of the Lord is near. The day of the Lord draws near. And so let us look at this passage here uh, in beginning in verse 1. It says, The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. So now God comes to Edom, sends a message, hey, listen, here's what's going to happen. The nations are all going to rise against you. Everyone is going to rise up against you. And he says, verse 2, Behold, I will make you small among the nations, and you shall be utterly despri- uh, despi- uh, despised. Excuse me, words are hard. Uh, verse 3, The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your hearts, Who will bring me down to the ground? The Edomites thought that because of their position, where their capital city was, where their land was, that they were pretty much invulnerable to any such attack. 
It makes you think in uh, uh, perhaps if you're a, a studier of ancient antiquity of the city of Tyre. When Alexander the Great was coming, Tyre is off the coast of Lebanon and told Alexander, said, we have an island and you have an army. Good luck getting to us. And Alexander literally made land between the two and ran and conquered. If you want a more contemporary thought of what this looks like, perhaps even uh, the Titanic, where the builder said, not even God can bring down this ship. Uh, and yet, uh, we, we all know the ending to that. The people thought that they were invulnerable, that they were uh, able to withstand anything. And here God says, guess what? Though, verse 4, you soar aloft like the eagle, though you ne your nest is among the stars, though you're high, I will bring you down, declares the Lord. You see, Edom was full of pride, thought that nothing could touch them. And yet God right here basically states, just wait, your day is coming. Not only is it going to come, everyone will come to your doorstep. You see here, we see that, that the destruction will be complete. You go into verses 8 and 9. He says, will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau, and your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Timon. And every man from Mount Esau will be cut off from slaughter. He says right here that every warrior will, will take away. You'll literally be defenseless. And then all the men of understanding will be slaughtered. In other words, not only will you not be able to defend yourself, but you will not be able to understand everything that is going to take place to you. And to talk about just how, how great and how complete this destruction will be, you have verse 5. He says, if thieves come to you, if Plunderers come by night, how you have not, or how have you been destroyed? Would they not steal enough for themselves? If great gatherers come to you, will they not leave gleanings? In other words, what he's saying is these plunderers that come, they're not just going to come up and say, Okay, I'm going to take this is enough for me, and now the people can sit here and have the rest because I've taken my share. They are going to take everything to the point that when it says the, the great gatherers, will they not leave gleanings? They're not only going to take the grapes, they're going to take the leaves off those plants. In other words, you will be completely barren after I get done with you for your treachery. And then we see here, why is this taking place? God gives Edom the exact reason. His, the Edom's shame, verses 10 through 14. Verse 10, because of the violence Done to your brother Jacob. Shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. You see, Edom here had acted treacherously against their kin. And like I said, this goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 25. So Isaac and Rebekah have two sons, uh, Esau, who was the firstborn, uh, and Jacob. Uh, Esau was kind of your man's man, looked similar to me. Uh, you know, just the guy that every woman would be so happy to be, you know, the hunter-gatherer. You know, some of y'all laughing too hard at that. That was not a joke. Y'all need to learn the difference. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, just looked like every man. Jacob, however, looked, looked pure 
puny. He was kind of a runt, and his name meant he was a deceiver. He was a trickster. Actually, uh, the reason why he has the name Jacob is because as he was, as Esau was coming out, Jacob was holding on to his heel, trying to beat his brother out first. And so the term Jacob literally means heel grabber. Um, and so uh, and so they they are both born, and then later Esau uh, is is his dad's favorite. Rebecca likes Jacob uh, more, and which is always a recipe for disaster. Uh, and then finally you get to chapter 25, the story of the birthright. You see, Esau was the oldest and therefore was uh, deserving of the birthright. In other words, he would be able to continue the lineage of his, of his father Isaac and his father Abraham. Uh, he would get a majority share of all the things left over. And so Esau comes in one day after hunting, as you know, people like me do, uh, and he comes in after hunting, but he is famished. And in the text, it kind of reads as uh, he, you know, he comes in, he's, he's hungry, and he just could care less about his, his birthright. Uh, but really, if you kind of look at it, the, the passage, Esau's afraid he's going to die to the point he even says, he said, what good is a birthright to me if I'm dead? And so he goes to his brother Jacob and says, Give me a bowl of soup. You got to be really hungry to love soup. But he goes to his brother and says, Give me a bowl of soup. And Jacob, being smart, being intelligent, understands that this is a time in which he can manipulate his brother. He says, Only if you give me your birthright. And Esau does just that. He gives away the birthright, and then there becomes tension between the two. And even though that later they, they do reconcile, we see that both families war with one another for generations to come. And so here we see that this violence comes because of what he's done to his brother Jacob in verse 10. All of this stems from back in Genesis 25, this tension between the two nations. And so now Edom thinks that it has finally avenged its patriarch. It's finally avenged Esau. However, what we find out is that Esau did not have the birthright. It was Jacob. And that favor that was promised through Abraham would be fulfilled in Jacob. And notice what he says in verses 11 through 14. He says, On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his, talking about Jacob's wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You were not as a family member. You acted as one of these foreigners who came in and plundered. But then he says, verse 12, Do not gloat over the day of your brother and the day of his misfortune, and do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Why? When we get to verse 15, See, the kingdom of the Lord is near. The day of the Lord is near. And for the day of the Lord, verse 15, is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return to your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. In other words, the Lord saying exactly what you did to your brother Jacob and to his people, so shall it be done to you. My judgment will be complete. And notice this, it will be just. 
You see, God is not going overboard in His judgment. He is repaying Edom for what it has done. Why? Because He is the righteous judge. He is not the, the attacking, vengeful judge. He is the one who brings complete justice. He is the one who completely defends His people. You see, the day of the Lord is near and the kingdom of the Lord is near. And so Israel, so Judah can take heart in knowing that God's judgment will come on those who come against him. That the Lord will be faithful to his word as he has said. And if you don't believe that, at this point, if you're, a, if you're a Jewish believer and you are sitting here and you don't believe this, all you have to do is remember on all the other promises, on the fact that a man in his old age named Abraham was promised to have a, a nation of people. That God fulfilled that promise. That eventually this nation was enslaved, and yet God said, I will bring you out. And indeed, Israel comes out and in fact becomes the superpower of the region. And even going before that, we see throughout the entirety of the Old Testament that our major problem begins not in Exodus with the people enslaved, but our major issue goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. That we have sin and fall short of a holy God, and yet at the very moment that sin enters into this world, God provides a way for us, saying there will be a day in which the seed of man shall come, and the seed of the serpent shall sh strike his heel, but the seed of the man or the woman will, will strike the head of the serpent. In other words, the death blow. We see how this, this seed will eventually come through Abraham's lineage. We then see how this seed will eventually come through David's line. And we see all this until when we here today in this room can look at the book of Matthew and see that this man who, who was promised from, from Genesis chapter 3, who was then promised to Genesis 15, who was then promised into Exodus, into 1 and 2 Samuel, how this man comes, he is born of the lineage of David, how he lives this perfect life that we should live, how he dies the death that we deserve, and yet rises from the dead and defeating death and defeating sin, and then looks to us and says, you can also partake in this sacrifice. All you must do is trust and obey. All you must do is submit and surrender. That is our ultimate issue in our life. This has been a hard week for many of us in this room. Friends have passed. We have heard of hurt from one end of the county to the other. And guys, we can sit here and say, how can we know for certain? We can know for certain because if God has been faithful and all of His promises throughout Scripture, He will be faithful in His promises to us. And though, yes, there are some promises that have not been fulfilled, we can pretty much say with certainty that they will be because He has not, he has not failed at any of the others. When will that take place? 
Ladies and gentlemen, the day of the Lord is drawing near. The kingdom of God is at hand, as Jesus said in Matthew. You see, even though you, you might have someone who comes up against you who perhaps uh, uh, you know, says something bad or perhaps is working against you, ultimately, the Lord will defend us. Whether it be that that person will stand before a righteous and holy God and have to pay for his sin, or if that person submits and believes to Jesus, that Jesus Christ himself will pay the penalty that that person deserves, just like he did with us. You see, the Lord is faithful in his promises. And so as we read a book such as the book of Obadiah, that we see that the people will be restored back to the land, uh, that, that in verse 10 or verse 19, excuse me, those in the Gebs shall possess Mount Esau. They will, they will go back and they will take a hold of the very possession that, that was not theirs to begin with because the Lord is giving it back. We see that the Lord is faithful throughout Scripture. And so when we, as New Testament believers, come and read a book such as Obadiah, that, you know, perhaps isn't the most cheery of books. You know, you don't normally see, you know, you don't really see on Instagram or on Facebook those flowery pictures with passages such as, Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. We can look at this passage and see that this is a continuation of the, of the faithfulness of God. Because let me tell you something, Edom is not here. And by the time you get to the book of Matthew, Edom is not spoken of. Because the Lord is faithful in His promises. And if He is faithful in His promises throughout Scripture, He will be faithful to His promises with us. So what must we do? What must we do? If, we are Christ, if you are a Christian in here, Here's what you must do. Read Scripture and remember on His promise. And I'll tell you this, that might sound very simple, but as I can tell you, the past seven months, that is extremely hard. Because stuff will come up in your life that you will sit there and say, there is no way. How in the world can I withstand this? Seeing my son... Say goodbye to his grandfather. How, God? How? How can, this, how can I come through this? How can I bring comfort to those who need comfort when I myself am in need of it? We get comfort not because of the deeds that we do, but because of his word which he has spoken. Because of the deeds he has already done. So, Christian, what must you do? I believe, help my unbelief. If you're not a Christian in here and you're sitting here listening to this and saying, I am a sinner and I deserve everything that is coming to Edom, what can I do? I'm going to hold out to you that very promise that he made from the beginning. And that is this, the message of salvation as given through his son, Jesus Christ. That though we are sinners, though we deserve death, Christ still loved us. That he came to this earth, he lived that perfect life that we should live. Died the death that we deserve and rose from dead, or from the death 
Uh, and in defeating death, he defeats sin. And he looks at us and says, you can partake in my sacrifice, but what must you do? Surrender. So today, if you are not a Christian and you are in here and you're asking, what can I do? I hand out to you something that is more important than anything else we can, we can hand out to you as a church. We hand out to you Christ himself. So we're going to go through a time of invitation. This is a time of reflection of us reflecting on this passage, reflecting on our lives and seeing how we can follow Jesus that much more. As we do this, I'm going to be standing up front. If you would like to just talk or discuss or perhaps you just need prayer, we'll be right here for you. If perhaps you don't like to come further, I'm going to make an, another suggestion. Perhaps even find a church member sitting there who can pray over you during this time. But let us not leave until we reckon with what the Lord would have for us to do today. And so it's kind of funny that the message we're going to be uh, or the song we're going to be singing here is Have Thine Own Way, Lord. <laughs> Let us submit to the Lord. If you'll stand as we sing, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, crawfordvillefbc.com.